This is exciting. Ooh, it sounds good, too. Mm -hmm. That's the sound of honey. Mm. (laughs) And that's the sound of liquid gold. Mike? Where the bees live everywhere, even in the sourwood trees, it's the mead episode of liquid gold here. We're here with the gentleman from Honey Tree Meadery there in East Nashville right here on liquid gold great to be here my name's mike wolf and i'm kenneth deadman kenneth how are you today i'm doing well highly caffeinated you're normal your beard's looking good i feel like we should start posting on the liquid gold instagram like the beard report i don't know dude it's looking good it's like a playoff beard but there's not really any playoffs going on maybe it's the podcast playoffs and we don't even know about it well i started out with a fucking beard because like i just wanted to see where i was at and then everyone started commenting on it and then I wanted to shave it, but it was already too late. Because if I shaved it, people would comment on it anyway. So I'm going to keep it around until everyone shuts the fuck up about it. That's good. <laughs> and you, you, that's a good way of communicating to the guests that, you, yes, you can cuss today on the show. <laughs> that makes me feel much better. This is Liquid Gold, a podcast about beverages, about all the things you put in your glass. This is our first meet episode, and we're thrilled to have Drew Sousen and Ross Welbin here on the show today gentlemen how are you so great to have you guys we can find honey tree meadery at 918 woodland street there in east nashville there's a lot going on in that area right now so um definitely go check check these guys out and we're going to talk today about all these different styles of mead that they have they've brought some special mead here today First, we want to give a shout out to Walker Jewelry over there in Old Hickory. Yes, at 10524th Street, Unit B, Old Hickory, Tennessee. Yeah, go see our friend Lindsay Walker over there. She makes jewelry. She will custom make all these pieces. She does classes. Check her out on Instagram at Walker Jewelry. We'll be in Charleston this weekend coming up for uh, Garden of Glass, my book, Garden of Glass, Grow Your Drinks from the Ground Up. Got an event at Husk in Charleston, the OG Husk, coming up Saturday, February 15th at 1 p.m. We'll have uh, ticket ticket links in the bios and all those things on our Instagram. And you guys are, at, are on Instagram as well? Yeah, absolutely. Honey Tree Meadery? Mm-hmm. At Honey Tree Meadery. So, Drew, why don't you tell us? Um, before you tell the story of your last name, which is, we were hearing some of it off air and we decided we need to save it for the episode, but tell us what's in our glass, uh, and the, the, the beautiful simplicity of this beverage. So this is what we call the basic batch. Mm-hmm. This is only water, honey, and yeast. That's it. So this is our take on a traditional mead where they're taking raw, natural honey, adding water and letting it ferment. Wow. And mead is one of the original alcoholic beverage, if not the original. They found clay vessels going back seven, 8,000 years that they had traces of mead in there. And here we are with the, the enlightening gentleman of Nashville's only meadery, I believe. Yeah. Right? Yep. So let's just start from the beginning. How did you guys get started on this journey making mead? Well, basically, we uh, started out homebrewing in the kitchen of our our, our house. Um, we used to live together, so uh, we'd be making beer in the kitchen and whatnot. Then, uh, then we started keeping bees. Started first beehives we ever had were right in the backyard, right here in East Nashville. And um, 
you know we were getting 50 60 pound, 50 60 gallons of honey out of these honey harvests every every year and we were oh, like wow. what the heck are we gonna do with all this honey it was only natural man we just started making out making alcohol out of it oh that's <laughs> great it really started with the bees with you guys then definitely mm-hmm. that's amazing so it wasn't necessarily like i'm really into meat i've been into meat my whole life kind of thing it was more like you it was like the two things kind of played off of each other yeah that's exactly. really cool yeah instead of it being like you know for our entire lives we've been drinking mead and that's what we started with mm-hmm. you know we've been beer tenders and things like that so you know it totally changed for us when this was eight years ago now we mm-hmm. started two hives and it was like, wait a minute. How many bees were you like, are we talking like, like guesstimate? Um, about 50, 60,000 bees in each hive. We're up. Depending on the time of year. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Just right in our backyard. And we had so many roommates at the time, you know, so it was like, just don't go too close. You know, just, you know it's all good. You know, it's fine if you don't bother them kind of thing. And mm-hmm. we quickly realized that like, we became obsessed with this for sure. If you look at today where we're at now we've been able to successfully keep genes in our hives from when we first started so one of our hives has the granddaughter queen of our original hives when we first started oh wow. right. that's great it's true well wow. true this path that we started on so long ago like oh my gosh there's so much that we don't know about bees and we don't know, you know, about their, you know, their entire existence. And it's like, okay, wait a minute. We can tie alcohol with what we love and nature, like on a on a real scale. This is what we're doing. Oh, sure. that's amazing. Yeah, that's a that's a great story. Fucking awesome. Because now you you've expanded your beekeeping operations. I imagine. So are you are you oh, yeah. doing it like at each other's houses and and at different like backyards around town or you uh, what's what's your beekeeping operations looking like now because that's that's a cool thing about the metery is that's that's a big part of what you guys are doing yeah right so, definitely yeah um, so we have two apiaries currently uh, first one is actually at one of our best friend Al, Alex Lair he lives kind of in like White's Creek Pike area out out that way. Um, so he's got a, he's got a couple of hives out there. He's actually got a couple of his own that we kind of split off from our hives so mm-hmm. that, cause he really wanted to learn how to be a beekeeper and whatnot. So I've been kind of mentoring him. So we've got four or five hives out there. And then, uh, right in East Nashville on, uh, McKinnell, McKinnell Avenue, McKinnell street. Don't really know, but there's mm-hmm. right where it dead ends. I was lucky enough to, to get paired up with these, with these wonderful people. And they have like six or seven acres right in the middle of east nashville they have a pond on their property and it is gorgeous out there oh Oh, it's beautiful out there so we've got about 10 hives out there right now luckily we we've been in talks with a beekeeper adam the bee guy um he's gonna be we're gonna be bringing him in this year he's gonna be helping us out (laughs) because taking care of 10 beehives and running a business and brewing mead and you know gets gets to be a lot so yeah you guys are doing a lot (laughs) is this all all your honey are you sourcing any of it from any local farmers as well yeah for sure um so the the honey for basic batch is a dark wildflower honey <laughs> um that all comes from johnson's honey farm out in goodlitzville if y'all are familiar with that you know each batch is about 15 gallons worth of honey each gallon of honey is about 50 bucks so i'm gonna do the math there it adds mm-hmm. up quick yeah so they love us they love it whenever <laughs> they see our trucks pulling up they're like Ooh. <laughs> um so the signature series is made with either honey from our hives or honey from other local beekeepers here in the area. Mm-hmm. 
So when you when you started brewing these batches in your kitchen, um, did you run into what was the trial and error process like? Because I think mead's fascinating because it is such a such an old tradition and it is such a sort of on the face of it. I know that there's a lot that can go into it with flavorings, but it is such a simple process and a beautiful process, but it also takes a lot of time. I was looking at some different recipes where, you know, they're saying like, yeah, rack it and then wait 12 months. Yeah, for sure. Maybe wait 12 more. Yep. Yep. And I'm like, "Uh, I can't wait that long. (laughs) <laughs> yeah they say they say never never throw a batch out just give it another year mm-hmm. see how it tastes um, so what yeah. was your some of your initial uh experiments like or uh or di- or di- were you like wow we got something here man i made some shitty tasting meat dude <laughs> i tell you what my first like our first like two three batches not good yeah not good at all i eventually um I really got dialed in. Um, I was, uh, used to brew for a little Harpeth Brewing, and the uh, okay. the old head brewer up there, Steve Scoville, and I, we kind of started experimenting with a lot of different meads up there at, at the brewery. And, um, yeah, that's when I really kind of started getting dialed in on, on recipes and things like that. But, uh, but yeah, I definitely have made my fair share of uh, batches that, <laughs> it did not come out right. <laughs> and all that time. was it like a ratio, or was it like uh, the water? It was like kind of procedural type thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't mm-hmm. I wasn't adding things when I needed to be adding them. I wasn't not adding adding things when I wasn't supposed to be adding them. Things like that. So yeah, and also it was probably one of those situations where like if I would have left it and just you know let it do its thing for a couple years, it might be all right at this yeah. point right now. But <laughs> yeah, but yeah, man, it it, it does take a while. We usually let our try to let our meat sit for as long as I can. I mean, we we usually sell through it fast enough to where we don't get to age it as long as we would like. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're <clears throat> we're basically to the point now where we're starting to get like a nice back stock, and we're going to be able to do some really fine aged meads and things like that. In the in the tap room, is that where you're making? Is that the facility where you're making the meat as well? So it's all happening there. That's all pretty right cool. There, yeah, yeah that's yeah. pretty amazing. Yeah, the space is quite large so we were able to put the production area and the tasting room and converted the whole back parking lot into a patio so right off the bat we were like okay we have a huge space this is where we're going to start everything because we can harvest our honey there Mm -hmm. you know from all the hives local beekeepers that don't have access to a certified kitchen you know that uh have some of this nice equipment that we've gathered they can come in and use the space if they need to oh that's cool you know so it's one of these things where every step of the way we try to make sure that this community of beekeepers have some kind of i I don't want to say hope but it's kind of hope Mm -hmm. because a lot of times you know it's these situations where somebody comes if they have one customer you know they're getting this tiny little bear of honey it's like oh that's great but at the end of the day they got to pay the bills too Mm -hmm. you know so any opportunity that we can come in and say hey we know how we know how to turn honey into money you know (laughs) (laughs) sounds like a great t-shirt you know like come on with it you know and so now we've had these really cool opportunities where these beekeepers have reached out to us we had this really awesome batch that these local beekeepers had reached out and they said, hey, we have this crystallized honey that's been sitting in our basement for years. We don't want to mess with it. Do you want it? We're like, yes, please give us all your honey. 
So that worked out really well. And, you know, little situations like that that you would never expect. There's all these little honey stashes that people have all over the place that they didn't know what to do with. And now it's like, oh, I can turn it into delicious alcohol. Yeah, that's we amazing. Also, we also got a batch that um, <clears throat> Adam, the beekeeper I was telling you about earlier, who's going to be coming on and helping us out. He does bee removals out of houses. And um, just so happens that Brett Hall has a house here in, uh, in Nashville that had had bees in the attic the hockey player yeah the hockey player. oh man i loved yeah. brett hole back in yes. the day right oh, he's st louis man. blues right. him and adam oates man wow you're gonna love the rest <laughs> of this story dude all right <laughs> he so. was amazing <clears throat> agreed yeah agreed. so so adam got the bees out of brett hall's attic there was also like three or four gallons of honey that came with it too sure so adam hit us up he's like yo I got honey from Brett Hall's attic. You guys got to make a batch of meat out of this stuff. Just so <laughs> Sounds happens. like a limited edition batch. Yeah. Oh, it is, man. <laughs> so it just so happens that we had a farmer that dropped off a bunch, like a huge bag of blueberries to us, too. So we're like, okay, we're going to make a blueberry mead from the honey from Brett Hall's attic. We're going to call it We Went Blues because I don't know if you ever heard uh-huh. this, right? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> we Went Blues, baby. So, um, so yeah, we've got... Uh, we literally got a, a mead brewed from the honey from Brett Hall's attic. It's a blueberry flavored mead. Go blues, baby. That's amazing. <laughs> What's the We Went Blues story? Oh, man. You got to YouTube it, dude. It's so funny. He, I can't remember exactly what he's talking about, but it was after they won the Stanley Cup at one point. And he, he, you could tell he was, whew, he was in the bag. And he was just so excited. He got up there and, um, wow, what did he say? It was something like, I don't know how he got there, but he was just so drunk that he was like we didn't just go here we went blues and like the whole crowd was like what is he talking about and then it like went viral <laughs> it was funny so yeah we called it we went blues Brad oh, Hall, if you're listening i'm trying to get you into the meadery to drink the mead from your attic dude so come on down make we- it happen brett <laughs> we will not release it to the public until he comes in and drinks some of it yeah and it's then like six months old it. at this point yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's getting good. It'd be sure. cool to have him like uh, do a, do one of those fast slap shots like to saber the mead. Let's try and make that happen. Yeah, yeah. Brett, we know you still got it. You don't have to skate around. <laughs> we just on, need Brett. you to stand there on, and Brett. whack a puck to saber <laughs> your own honey mead. Man. It's beautiful. I yeah, it's cool, man. This come on. Yeah, That's amazing. What's he doing in Nashville? Cool. I think he's just one of the places where he owns one of his houses. Yeah, think, well, man. good on you, Mr. Hall. Right? <laughs> it's actually like a lot of like former NHL presidents in town. Half the freaking agents, NHL agents, live in Nashville. I, th- I think yeah, it's just because they like Preds games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good good environment. We we mentioned earlier how, how it is just fascinating that meat is honey, water, yeast, but um, what differentiates the way that a lot of people make meat, it seems like, is how they treat the yeasts. And are you guys using any wild yeast, like the like the real old school original meads? Are you um, or how do, how do you guys handle that without getting too proprietary? But how do you handle that aspect of it? Because we're talking about the honey, and I think the yeast is another critical part of it. Absolutely, you know? yeah. Um, so basically, we're um, we're the day before we brew we make like a yeast starter so it's basically like a uh one eighth of a, a normal size batch of mead so like if we make a 60 gallon batch we'll make like a two and a half gallon starter so it's basically two and a half gallons of mead and we'll put like three packets of yeast in it get it going really really well overnight and it kind of like 
turbocharges the yeast and then mm. when it goes into the bigger batch it's already like beefed up and ready to go mm. so so yeah and the way the way we do that we have like a little air pump with an aeration stone on it it's got a little sterile air filter we leave that air filter in the mead overnight and it constantly is pumping air into it mm-hmm. um, the oxygen allows the yeast cells to multiply at like a rapid pace okay so the idea is to turbocharge the mead and have it reproduced by like tenfold and then it's like all you can see it man you come in the next day and there's like foam like this tall on it right. are you keeping it at like at a constant temperature like 80 degrees yeah we use the ambient temperature in the metery sure um, so it's 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 usually about 70 degrees in there which is like perfect yeast fermentation temperature so um so yeah temperature has kind of only been an issue for us like in the summer um if we had our like our one of our air units went out and we had like one air unit and we were like we had all these fans in there like trying to it was a nightmare <laughs> when we first opened man that was funny <laughs> yeah day one one of the two ac units go out like oh of course all yeah right, let's go and, and you you've been in the hospitality business for a long time and you've brewed beer so you know that that's just gonna happen so you're probably like yeah I knew, th- yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> the AC went down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's all you of got. Of course, that would happen. <laughs> Come on, that's all you got. Yeah. Let's go. What is that Murphy's law? Anything that can go wrong will go wrong. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It was. That's our so far. Knock on wood. Mm-hmm. Um, our one three star review, which is because on our opening day is when the AC unit went out, and it was grand opening so there was hundreds of people in there and somebody said it's too warm in there oh man that's harsh <laughs> we were like yes day one we got a hater we yeah. are gonna make it you're like i didn't i didn't know trolls like mead but i guess they <laughs> oh they're out there what was that one we saw there was one guy that was like what are you guys gonna like walk around drinking from horns and stuff too like get off your high horse and Ellis were like i'm holding a horn while i'm reading this <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> like oh no we, yeah, yeah, we're drinking from horns for sure. What yeah. other than horns and uh, vintage uh, goblets that were taken out of castles and um, flagon, maybe a deer hoof that's hollowed out? I don't know. What what is like the leather bladders? Oh yeah, flagons. Yeah, oh yeah. What are some of the <laughs> the appropriate mead glassware? I mean, really anything. Pimp chalices are especially welcome. <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're definitely welcome at the meadery if you have any sort of pimp chalice. Step right up. Yeah. <laughs> you can Step bring right your own up. glass. That's good yeah. to know. Yeah, actually, yeah. We, we do a, a thing, too, up there. It's usually like half off your first glass when you bring in either like a horn or like some people bring some crazy shit in there to drink out of, man. So, but, so yeah, half off your first fill when you come in with a with your own specialty horn. Also, like we get... We get some rad people who get like super decked out and like total Viking garb and stuff and come in there and hang out and just hammer down mead and just have a good old time. Man. That's awesome. It's a lot of fun. The, a lot of the research I did, uh, there was one funny quote from a New York Times article in 2012 where a brewer said, you know, it's mead's great because it comes, it comes around in popularity like every two to 3,000 years. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, it's good that we're, we're in this moment now. And a lot of people seem to have uh, ascribed it to Game of Thrones being popular. But what what's your perspective having, you know, you've launched this mead here. It's been successful. You've got all these, these, these tasty varieties. But what's your perspective on people drinking mead? Is it just curiosity? Is it, is it the Game of Thrones thing? I think it's, I think it's a, a, a lot of different things all at the same time. 
you know, the, the Game of Thrones, things like that, that definitely helps for sure. Another thing that helps that you wouldn't have expected was that, that Bud Light commercial where they're <laughs> like, what's mead? Get this mead out of here, you know, and they're drinking Bud Light. Oh, right. That was Super Bowl last year, maybe? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And oh. tons of people are like, yeah, I heard about mead on that Bud Light commercial. We're like, thank you for the free advertising. Wow. <laughs> we appreciate it. But, That's amazing. You know, it's definitely a lot of curiosity as well. I can't tell you how many people come into the tasting room, you know, across the street from Basement East. And they're like, I have no idea what this is, but I want to try it. It's like, okay, absolutely. <laughs> That's perfect. That's definitely what we're going for. But then I also feel like there is an awareness going on, you know, about the climate in general and about the wellness of bees in general. So now honey is becoming more and more of a buzzword, you know, when you're really starting to hear about how there's fake honey, you know, and all these honey brokers all over the world and all this crazy stuff. Like, I think that we really are starting to see like an awakening to this kind of stuff and we're smack dab in the middle of it, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Imagine, uh, yeah, as, as as we're trying to, attempting to, we're Googling, like, a return to the land and our relationship with the land. Like, yeah, honey and bees lie right there. I mean, it's farming. For sure, man. Yeah, we we feel so lucky to be so connected to that, too. It's it's something it's something so much more to us, you know? Like, we're, we're so connected to it, man. There's just something cool about seeing, like, seeing the bees collect nectar from the flowers, bringing it into the hive, watching them turn it into honey, and then taking the honey right out of the hive and putting it right in the tanks and making meat out of it. It's it's very, it's a spiritual thing for us. You know, we feel really like, I feel connected to my ancestors when I'm back there brewing. You know, I, I tell everybody that comes back there, I'm like, right, this is my sanctuary back here. Pay your respects before you come in. Mm -hmm. It's immaculate back mm -hmm. there, mm -hmm. by the way. Oh, but we, you could put a plate of food on the ground and I would eat it right off the ground. It's <laughs> so clean, like spooky clean. Oh yeah, it's spooky clean. But it's yeah, we're, so yeah, we feel we're very, very grateful to be able to do what we're doing and be so connected with something so like so ancient and with so much history. Mm -hmm. it's, it's really, really great, man. The history of meat is just fascinating. So it's a little bit, uh, not to generalize it, but you've got beer. And when you're thinking about beer, you're thinking like, well, what's just like a beer, a Pilsner, you know, Budweiser style, whatever. Um, and then you've got the craft beer scene, which has all these flavors. Mead is similar than that. So what we're drinking now is like the the, the base batch. Um, but what, what other kinds of mead do you guys make? And what, what has been some like fun flavor explorations that you've done? Oh, man, we've got all kinds of cool stuff. Let's see, we've got with us here today... This is our premium bourbon barrel aged mead. Um, we got a whiskey barrel from a, a distillery in Kentucky called New Riff. Mm -hmm. and, um, New Riff, uh, Newport, uh, Kentucky. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. Right yeah, across know. the river from uh, Cincinnati. Yeah, yeah, man. Yep, so they so they gave it. We got a barrel from them. Um, that mead was in that barrel for probably, what, five months? About five months there, aged. Yep. So this, this one is honestly one of my favorite meads we've ever made. And it was basically just basic batch that just went in the in the barrel and Ooh. aged in there for four months. Um, so you get a lot of those like vanilla notes. You get a little bit of the char. It just adds like so much complexity to the yeah. basic batch. So you can, we just got finished drinking basic batch. Yeah. Now this is basic that has been aged in the bourbon barrel. So Pretty big difference too. It's all in the mid palate. It really lets you know it's there. 
yeah man <laughs> the influence of the barrel it's nice yeah that i would mm. imagine that that pairs well with a bunch of food it's such a kind of an elegant beverage that i think it's kind of amazing that it is associated with like vikings and people with swords and goblets and castles and uh dragons maybe if you want to make a stretch but because it is it's such a such an elegant sort of refined beverage we're probably just kind of scratching the surface the last whatever 10 years maybe of a pairing you know food with mead you see that way more it reminds me of cider a lot it's like really elegant craft cider in a way yeah for sure it's pretty fascinating um yeah and the cool thing is is like because it's only honey and water and yeast there's nothing to really hide behind so any little flavoring that you add into it um it, it it completely changes it so that's something really fun that we get to play around with um We've got a habanero mead that we've made before that ended oh, wow. up coming out really, really good. Um, we've got a poached peach mead. That one's really popular. Mm. Um, we have a whole, we call it a lil batch. Mm-hmm. So we've got our basic batch, and that's our standard flagship. Um, then we have our lil batch, which is our low-gravity mead. So, like, the meads we're drinking now are, like, 12 to 15%. Mm-hmm. The lil batch is, like, 45 or 5%, so it's almost like a session mead. Okay. But those are served chilled and carbonated. Um, so we have a lot of... Uh, a lot of wiggle room with with those flavors too so you know we'll have like a dry hopped mead that's really good um we've got the standard little batch uh we've got a blackberry that we do we've got a citrus bliss where it's like orange lemon lime all flavored in it kind of tastes like boozy mead sprite Mm, (laughs) that's really good too um (laughs) that sounds great we do a lot of experimenting with like teas and meads and things like that so like that's basically what uh, bouquet toss is here. It's rosehip, hibiscus, and linden flower, and it just gets steeped in the basic batch. Oh, beautiful! Yeah, I imagine the the sessionable carbonated mead sells pretty well at the at the tap room. I'd imagine we can't even keep it in the building, man. It, it just flies out of there. Yeah, we did a blackberry little batch, and it was gone in three hours. We're like, okay, well, uh, <laughs> proof of concept, check. Yeah, they're like, did you try any? You're like, I actually did not get any. Where's my glass? Like, oh, no, it's gone. It's yeah, gone, sorry. Exactly. <laughs> Must have been good. I should have made way more of that. Mm-hmm. Okay, next year, here we go. Because it's a, you know one of those things where if we're going to say that we're this connected to you know the, the local farmers and this kind of stuff, it's important that these kind of ingredients are coming from the local farmers and when they're actually ripe and fresh and hey i just picked these today and brought them straight to you and they go straight to the tank that day you know same thing like when we're harvesting our honey that was one of the craziest things to me was you know we went out took these combs brought them to the meadery put them in the comb spinner and it came into a bucket and it was out of the comb for five minutes went into the bucket and went straight into the tank so you know I definitely think that that's a big part of it, where all this stuff has to be so fresh right at the right time, you know, in order to make a big difference. Yeah, you can definitely taste the difference between, like, if you, you know, you go and buy blackberries when they're out of season and try to make a meat out of it, as opposed to blackberries, like, coming from a farm, totally different. Yeah. Totally different. And it, it, because there's not, like I said earlier, there's nothing to hide behind. So, like, even, even if you use, you know, the quality of the ingredients, is everything with meat yeah for sure and so many in so many things in food and drink are like once or twice removed from bees and you know we're you know we're all connected in one way or another so it's cool that you guys are kind of on the front lines of that if you're making meat you're right there in close contact communication probably with the bees probably talking to the bees um oh, yeah 
So if you want to support Earth, then you could buy mead. <laughs> Technically, right? absolutely. You support man. you guys. Support yeah. Earth. Yeah, Ross says every every glass you buy saves one B. That's great. One glass, one B. That's that's the trade off. And you can see in real time, you know, these natural effects coming in and affecting all these bees. That cold snap that we had right at the end of 2019, where mm-hmm. it got super super cold. Mm-hmm. Finally, we, yeah, we lost a hive oh, man. that day. Because it was 65 degrees during the day, right. so the hive is out foraging, out and about. The temperature dropped so fast that they couldn't even make it back to the hive, and a lot of them froze before they made it back home. Oh, wow. You know, so a hive as tall as me, you know, was severely affected by a weather snap like that. Wow. You know, so these things that, you know, we just look at from outside the window, it's like, no, we're seeing this affect the environment in real time. That's yeah. amazing. Especially in the south, I think like the the winter swing temperature has gotten so much more pronounced in the last shit just the decade. Like that's what I always say to northerners, you know, then they're when they're coming down here and they're like, Yeah, twenty degrees, it ain't shit. And I'm like, Well, forty eight hours ago it was seventy degrees. So actually, yeah, it fucking hurts. Like <laughs> Yeah, it's no joke. Yeah. What about what are some other um threats to bees that are that are that are prominent out there? The biggest one, without a doubt, is something called a varroa mite. Mm-hmm. Um, it basically, uh, it's a it's a parasitic mite, and it gets in the lar- the larvae. Is that is that mm-hmm. not right? Yeah. So basically, um, as the larva is growing, right before the cell gets capped over, the mites sneak in there, and then they basically f- multiply and feed on the larva inside of the cell as it's pupating. So the bee comes out and it's already weakened and sick, but that's not the worst part unfortunately the worst part is the diseases that the mites spread that's what affects the bees the most out of uh, out of out of anything that's deformed wing virus uh k-wing virus can be spread that way too um and when when you see the poor bees man they come out of the cell and they're just like their their wings are like jello pretty much mm. they, they can't fly so yeah the biggest threat to the bees are the are the varroa mites for sure and the diseases that they spread pesticides and herbicides kind of play a factor into that too if you you know if you're spreading herbicides around on all your flowers the bees can actually bring that back into the hive and like it will poison the honey it it will make the bees sick too so um yeah i mean there's a the environmental factors as well like drew was saying earlier like not only do you run into the issues where it's warm and the bees can't all get back into the hive or whatever that happens very very rarely but what can happen is that when it's warm the bees are really active, and the more active they are, the more honey they have to consume in the hive. Um, the more honey they, they consume, the faster it runs out. Mm-hmm. So it's almost better if it's going to be cold for it to stay cold because then they just kind of stay in the hive. They actually form like what's called a winter cluster. They make like a – imagine like a basketball inside of the beehive. They have little heater bees in there that vibrate super fast, and they actually warm that whole entire cluster in there. Killer. But that cluster – eats it consumes its honey and as as it moves up they can, if they get to the top of their hive and there's no more honey left they're done they're yeah. done for yeah so uh so the warmer it is the more active they are the more honey they consume so it's almost better like when it's cold for it to stay cold but so like yeah here in tennessee those huge fluctuations of temperature we got to make sure we're in there checking on them and making sure they have enough honey and stuff to that they haven't eaten through their shares you know <laughs> wow you're like Maybe have a light lunch today. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. Maybe skip brunch. Yeah. I'll need to take a day off. Jeez. Yeah. 
there's probably no other beverage so connected to the earth and with the kind of fundamentals of the earth than mead. So it's kind of no wonder that it was the first. Yeah, man. Yeah. I feel like there's some lesson in there. It's also the only alcohol that can happen, uh, that can occur naturally in the wild, too. So, like, if there's a beehive in a tree, storm comes through, you know, knocks a tree over or whatever, or even just, you know, rains inside of the tree and washes some honey down into a little puddle, mm-hmm. it'll become mead down in there. That's probably how it started, right? Some Somebody's walking through the forest, and they're like, I'm thirsty. Yeah, we've so many right. times, you know, we've, buzzed. Been, we've been hanging out like, how did this start? You know, was it somebody with, you know, the leather pouch that was walking around in a rainstorm and it got wet and he left it outside for a day and then tried to, you know, get so, to his honey or something. So in, in preparation for today, I did some light reading last night and um, the the gentleman who wrote a book called The Complete Mead Maker, his name is Ken Schramm. Uh, he basically revolutionized American mead making and, and brought it back into the mainstream in America. He is a total badass. So I'm definitely giving him a shout out. Awesome. Shout out. Let's check out that yeah. book. Ken Schramm, The Complete Mead Maker. It's a rad book. Anyway, there's a passage in that book where he kind of hypothesizes his thoughts on how the first like hunter gatherers were, were like accidentally made mead where like they would go out on like a hunting expedition with like their little like, goat bladder that they use to keep water in or whatever Mm -hmm. come across a beehive like oh in an effort to save both water and collect the honey they would just take the comb out put it in their sack with their water five days later when they came back from their hunting trip that honey was saved in there and then they like they were sharing it with the village and all of a sudden the women were were more into like being intimate and (laughs) different things like that yeah so they yeah for sure that's a real thing so um so that's how he hypothesized it happening and that was ten thousand years ago story was carved onto a tablet yeah right it's a a deleted scene in willow (laughs) (laughs) well and that's where the the saying honeymoon comes from right i did see that that's fascinating yes tell that story that's great you're supposed to when you go on your honeymoon you're supposed to be gone for a full moon cycle and it was tradition for you to be given enough mead to last the entire moon cycle so that you would have alcohol the entire time and was obviously supposed to boost fertility and cement the bond between the couple you know so you hear this honeymoon and you never even think that it this they're talking about mead that is straight up yeah that's amazing moon. yeah i saw that story last night when i was doing some research and that that kind of blew me away because it, it just kind of reinforces the fact that you are faced with the details of mead and the kind of intricacies and the story of mead throughout your 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 kind of whole life it takes sort of a curiosity maybe or just something as a jumping off point point to start drinking mead so it's great to have you guys. <laughs> yeah, it's great to be here, man. <laughs> so what has the mead community been like? So you've gone to some festivals. You have a, a gold medal winner here today with you. Yes. But what has the, the community been like, uh, before we talk about that mead that won won the award, what has the community been like, like around the country or with mead? It's been very receptive and really, really cool to meet some of these other meadery owners and you know, to see what vein of mead they really succeed in and, you know, what they're interested in and what their customers are interested in, you know, and it's really cool for us because we're taking a completely different path that they are Mm -hmm. in a lot of cases, you know, where we wanted something that was really going to be accessible for everybody. You know, we're trying to hit all those different notes all at the same time, because especially 
you know, setting up in East Nashville, you know, where we've been working for so long, you know, we know the neighborhood, we, mm, right. we, you know, it's, it's a small town for yeah, sure. Yeah. You know, and we wanted something that we were going to be proud to put on all these bars and have mm. all these bartenders want to make cocktails with and, you know, eat, serve by the glass and pair with all different kinds of stuff, you know? So as they come in, you know, these owners of other meteries, they come in and try our stuff. And they're like, Oh my gosh, this is so cool. I, we would love to do something like this, but now we're kind of stuck in our vein. You know, we're this is what our customers want. This is this is what we're in, and it was great for us to start from the beginning and be like, we're not going to be stuck in anything. Right? You're never you never know what you're going to get when you come into that tasting room. We're always working on something new and crazy and out of the norm. Yeah, from day That's one. Great. From day one, we were we were determined to make at least one mead that no matter who came in. No matter what flavors they'd like, even if they, even if they didn't like seven of the eight meads, they would have that one that they were like, "This is the one." Mm-hmm. So you know, because like some of the flavors aren't really for everybody. You know what I mean? We we, we come up with some kind of crazy ones sometimes. What's but, the yeah. most unusual mead you've made? Would you say we did uh, like witch's brew with like wormwood and uh, some other kind of crazy spices and herbs? Oh, uh, cool. That one was that one came up pretty wild. It was really really earthy, really herbaceous. Um, I, I wasn't a fan of it. Uh, yeah. That's funny too, because like half the like n- not half. I would say there there are some means that I prefer more than others, but uh, but yeah, it's like some of the stuff that I don't like. Other people come in and they're like, "This is the greatest. I love this stuff. You guys got to keep making this one. I'll come in and buy all of it just for myself." <laughs> yeah, you're like, "Great, no, yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah, not doing that." Right. <laughs> yeah, we had a buddy of ours that he was so obsessed with the habanero mead. He's like, legitimately, I want five gallons of it like make a separate batch and i want the whole thing we we're like done say no more dude uh-huh. we got you that's yeah, great man. honey and spice is perfect perfect oh, yeah. fucking pairing that's right man yeah um, yeah maybe it's like lunchtime but it makes me think of fried chicken you know oh, yes. honey mm. hotness yes fried dude. chicken yep. yeah heck yeah man you know no, like anything spicy like especially this whiskey one like i think is perfect perfect for like hot chicken mm-hmm. oh yeah man mm-hmm. So tell us about the award-winning batch and what went into that one that you have. Okay, so this is a cool story for sure. <clears throat> so this is our signature series. So the signature series is always either our own honey or another small local beekeeper. So this one is our own honey. We entered it and a few others into the Orpheus Mead Fest in Denver. And no doubt about it, we i did not even think we were gonna place it was just for fun just to try and like get the world starting to be aware that we even existed you know Mm -hmm. and to see like our competition and all the all the people that you know we need to be looking at to see what these judges are looking for so we didn't even go to the fest you know and we get the paperwork back you know they send us the email and i'm flipping through all the all the winners and i stop and i'm like oh my god wait bouquet toss that we shipped off got silver in fruit mead and i'm like oh my god definitely was not expecting that that's ours hey everyone hey everyone and they're like dude you didn't even get to the bottom of the page i keep scrolling down and signature series had won gold in traditional wow so traditional mead gold with our own honey that was a moment that's great so it's east nashville honey East yeah. Nashville Honey. Yay. East Nashville Honey won the gold. 
So I don't know, how, how many great. meteries are we talking, or even how many meteries are out there? Are we are we talking in the United States versus like in competition? Because it's growing so much in popularity, there's quite a few, man. I mean, there's like five or six in Michigan, five or six in Wisconsin. It's really popular on the East Coast, especially on the, on the West Coast as well. And anywhere California. there's honey, I guess if as long as like the beekeeping population keeps growing, mm-hmm. which exactly. it seems like it is, like. Or y'all are all finding each other yeah, right now. Yeah, for sure, man. Yeah, with the, now more than ever, we got to kind of band together, man, because it's like bees and beekeepers are, I don't want to say assaulted. That seems like a pretty hardcore word, but like from every front, it's like, you know, imagine this. Beekeepers lose an average of 40% of their hives each year throughout the winter. If cow farmers lost an average of 40% of their cows every winter, what would the what would the the beef industry look like? You know what I mean, or like with, with anything, forty percent of chicken. Like, what would the poultry industry look mm-hmm. like? You know, and it's it's um it's all under, you know, it's basically like this agricultural like livestock keeping thing. Like bees are considered livestock, you know. So it's it's yeah. it just kind of boggles my mind that like there isn't more awareness than there than there is out there. You know, and it's like how how you know we've been dealing with this veromite problem for 15, 20 years. Like, how are there still no solutions to it? You know what I'm saying? And, you know, if you add up beef, chicken, and pork all together, there is more bee loss than all three of those combined every year. Well, if those numbers aren't shocking, you just don't understand what we're saying. Mm-hmm. You know? So are the, are the populations diminishing or do we even know that like i mean rapidly diminishing rapidly mm-hmm. like With and some, that's been going on for 10 20 years right definitely yeah yeah, yeah. they're saying but mass, you're still fi- but you're still finding like wild hives in like hockey players attics and stuff so <laughs> right? it's like right. hope right like right there's hope you're, you're finding these like there's hope not, with Brett hole <laughs> yeah which is a sentence i didn't think i'd say at the beginning of the day right but that's that's part of being alive come on Brett. <laughs> i did say so it. we just need that more like yeah. maybe the guy should have just given up his house it was just like a natural in my <laughs> in my entire life i've only ever seen one hive survive in nature in the same place for multiple years and it's one of the islands of percy priest oh wow we, oh killer we oh, found cool. these bees camping out there one day we started seeing all these bees fly past and we're like there's a hive close i guarantee it so we just kept following the bees and sure enough we found their hive in the middle of this tree you know like a rowboat <laughs> oh man we we throw down on percy please i've got a, i've got an old 87 sea ray that i converted into a little wakeboard boat and we nice. just we go throw down out there for was sure. jess backus involved in that yes, <laughs> sounds was, like it man. where are you jess shout Backus? out to jess jess we love you <laughs> she she's literally i call her my alcohol mentor like she guided me along the path. she's have. a sage yeah, yeah. No doubt mm-hmm. about it. So needless to say, I'm gonna go put some swarm traps out on Percy. I'm gonna catch a swarm <laughs> of them bees, yeah. and we're gonna we're gonna see how they do. Oh, That's great. But don't you you want these wild, like I mean, like the European bee has always been farmed, really, at least since it came here. So mm-hmm. for some like renegades to break off, become wild, you want that variance in like Definitely. genetics, especially the ones that are because they're surviving in the wild and. And, and not being tended to absolutely yeah. man 100 percent. yeah and that's and that's that's another uh, aspect of our beekeeping that we pay a lot of attention to is a, our lines of genetics so like we basically make splits from all of our hives each year 
when we make those splits, we'll order some like really, really fancy nice queens and, and put the, the new nice queen in the split rather than try to raise our own queen with like raising queens is like a whole separate job all on its own. If you're going to raise queens, there's a really specific way that you have to do it. And I, I just don't have time for all that. So mm-hmm. like, I'm, so I just go out and we buy the best queens that money can buy because usually, you know, when you buy the nice queens, the, the, the breeders actually take the time to like, to, to do what they need to do to make sure those queens are the best that they can be. So this is a really special moment, guys. This is amazing. We're about to drink the gold medal winner from Honey Tree Media right here in East, in in Nashville. And this is East Nashville honey that they made this with. And I do want to throw a shout out to Darren, our, our intern, who's back for another semester, for letting us know that uh, there are around 300 meteries in the United States. Whoa. Yeah. So cool. thank you, Darren. Yeah, so um, 1992, there were about 250 um, craft breweries in the United States. Uh, 2005, there were like almost 3,000. Do you guys so think we'll see in, that? With y'all are in on the like cusp. Drink. Yep, <laughs> on the forefront. Yeah, for sure, man. Yeah, we and then you know, MBEV buys them, <laughs> and then it'll come back around in two thousand years. So right, we probably right. will be around for that once we're downloading brains and all that. But this is a different episode. Yeah, we better be on the forefront of all this. <laughs> well, okay, so champagne of meat right here, huh? All right, this, this is the first time we've had this since we found out we won. Oh, oh man, wow. yep, because we we only had a couple bottles of it left, so we. We're like, oh my god! Now we need to bury them somewhere. Oh, this one has that corn chip flavor too. Whoa! Kind of smells like the ocean. It reminds me of a lot of things. It. Oh man! It's like damn. It tastes like grape juice. It's like Capri Sun for adults. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's very crushable. I mean, what's the alcohol content on this one? Do you that think twelve for sure? Twelve. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't. Whoa! I mean, yeah. I guess. Yeah, it doesn't. The, the taste doesn't come through. It's like the alcohol doesn't come through and the taste as much to me with mead. Right. As it would with like a wine or uh, cider or, you know, obviously a, a higher graph beer. It's, we have to keep warning people. Like, hey, heads up. You just slammed that glass. You know, and they're <laughs> right. like, oh, this that was five ounce pour. That's nothing. We're like, no, sir, you are in for it. Yeah. <laughs> heads up. Yeah, it's true. When we first were like messing around with opening the tasting room, you know, when we were still doing the build out, we had a couple picnic tables that we were building for the back patio. And I was like, I'm going to go get an open sign. I'm going to flick it on and I'm just going to see what happens. People were coming in, hanging out. I had quite a few people just walk in and I was doing eight ounce pours at that point. And I found out within like three days, eight ounce pours are too much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah man. Way too much. Yeah. Tone it back. Five ounce traditional wine pour. This is yeah. way too sassy. There's a lot sure. of scooters in that neighborhood. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Don't <laughs> want to have anybody getting into a scooter wreck. Yeah. Right? It's such a, cl- it's so clean. Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, I always tell people, it's like, all right, you drink a 12 pack of Bud Light, you feel a certain kind of way. You drink vodka for a night, you, drink, you feel a certain way. You drink absinthe for a night, you feel a certain way. Sake. Every, Everything's kind of a little different. You guys sure. are talking about, right? Yeah. Meat is it's like a whole new beast, man. It's so clean. Yeah. It's like the more you drink of it, you get like, you feel like a bee. Yeah. Like you get like energy, man. I'm telling you. And it's like, and it's it's so clean that it's like, next thing you know, you're like, whoa, wow, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm there. Yeah. I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. So coming from beer brewing, 
what kinds of similarities and or kind of uh, big differences do you see between the two, making the two, you know? Oh, man. You've done both. They're so, so much different, man. It's so crazy. Yeah. The process that we use to make the mead, right? So well, the mixture of the honey and the water together is called must, and mm-hmm. that's the unfermented mead. As soon as you add the yeast in it, then it becomes mead. Same with beer. You make like the wort, and then when you add the yeast in it, then it becomes beer. The process of making wort and the process of making must are completely different. Basically, all we're doing is putting honey and water in a tank and mixing it together. Are you heating it to a specific? Because I know a lot of people to go like to 160 was like a, I saw like a conversation online between mead makers. They were talking about 160 and then some were saying, no, we don't cook it really at all. Some people when they're starting out or if they have a certain kind of honey, they'll boil it or they'll cook it down or something like that. But how do you guys treat the heat element of so we don't use heat at okay. all. Okay. Okay. Um, so that probably keeps these subtleties and these delicate flavors that we're exactly. tasting. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. So um, the, the style of mead where you use boiled honey is actually called a boucher, mm. um, and th- they're they're really good. But you just get a lot of the sweetness, and when you when you boil, you drive off all those aromatics. Mm. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, we we don't boil any of ours, um, and if we do, like we we do have a we've been tweaking our candy ginger recipe. Um, and we're actually making like candied ginger honey and then putting that in the fermenter and fermenting that. It's coming out really, really well. Um, but we don't use all the honey and the batch doesn't get boiled. I would say probably 25% of it is getting boiled just because we, we, we got to keep those aromatics in there. Yeah. If you boil all the honey, it still tastes really good, but it's just like you get a lot of caramel flavors mm-hmm. and different things like that, but you don't get any of the aromatics from the pollen and things like that in there. Yeah. So. It seems like such a delicate process, the whole thing, yeah. between from the bees. Yeah. It's romantic. Temperature. Romantic. Yeah, For it is. sure, man. We're yeah, coming up on is. New Year's, or uh, Valentine's Day. Uh, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, so, <laughs> New Year, so, New Year. New Year's for single <laughs> people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> new Year, New You. <laughs> yeah, to get back to your question about, like, the, the difference of the, the mead making and, and the beer making. So, like, when you make wort, there's, like, you have to go through that whole steeping process, and then there's like the the grant process where you have to like separate the wort from the grains, and there's just it's so much more involved. It's so much more complicated to make the beer wort than it is to make the mead must. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, with beer, you can make a batch of beer start to finish in three weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, with mead, you're looking at a couple months. You yeah, know what I'm saying so. Like that's that's the part. Of, that's that's really tricky for people is that you have to be patient and you have to wait there's so many people that try to do so many things that try to like skirt the process of the aging and you can just always taste it when it's not aged properly yep. you know mm. it's just one of those things it's like that with whiskey or yeah, beer no one, you know no one's figured that out no yeah. one will ken shram back to ken shram earlier shout out ken shram mm. where you at um, ken he's got like nine months hard every mead gets aged for at least nine months in his in his meadery and do you guys That's, ever try to take like one like single variety of honey or something like an orange blossom honey or a sourwood honey or and just try to make a mead that reflects that or have you isolated like different honeys for for your own meads and definitely tell me about that yeah man um so we've done we've done several varieties like you were saying we've done the orange blossom uh buckwheat is a big one here in tennessee mm, um yeah, that makes sense the the honey from the buckwheat it's it's more of like a buckwheat wildflower blend but it's really really dark and the flavors are like it like you can tell that it comes from the earth it tastes like a tree root wow it's really good 
Yep. So like that's your, fascinating. Your clovers, your honeysuckle, the really light. And it's like you can even see the difference in color in these meats here. So like this is made from a dark wildflower. Mm. Right. This was made from more of like a clover kind of honeysuckle. You're you're tasting it in the glass. So like the basic batch is made with the same yeast, the same process, just a different honey, and it's a completely different drink. Wow. What could you say are like the different times of years that these are hard? Like honeysuckle kind of comes and goes, does it not? But yeah. So uh, mostly mostly the honeysuckle, the clover. That's all coming in like the early spring. in the early spring. Yep. Okay. Um, later in the season, the, the later the season gets, the darker the honey gets. Really, it's a dark wildflower honey. So unfortunately, like our bees on the east side, there's just not enough wildflowers to make wildflower honey. So anybody who's listening, plant wildflowers everywhere. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> let those clovers go. Yep. Yeah, let those clovers go. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Hashtag let the clovers go. Yeah, sounds great. Another T-shirt idea. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so like we we harvest once a year, just because we're not getting a, a fall flow really. This year we've got plans to get some hives kind of like out more in like uh, Ashland City area. We got mm. a friend who's gonna put some hives out there for us, and um, we'll we'll definitely start to get more darker things at that point because like the buckwheat the wild the dark wildflower that stuff kind of comes later in the season so we'll definitely start to be able to harvest more of that type of honey here soon but yeah there's just not enough flowers to go around to make wildflower honey in east nashville man yeah so we get we get usually a one harvest a year and we don't take all the honey off the bees so we take about maybe 50 60 percent of what they're producing um depending on the size of the colony and whatnot like we kind of get in there and gauge like okay like we're not going to rob them blind mm-hmm. we're going to leave something for them so we usually i mean we've got an average of like 30 to 50 gallons of honey each year from our harvest um because yeah like you know like i was saying we, we leave a lot on the hives for the bees so sometimes we even have to do like supplemental feeding towards the end of the year too because like there is just i mean from freaking june basically when the weather is hotter than 80 degrees the nectar producing plants are like right yeah. <laughs> just shrivel up and die yeah, yeah. so we're done <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah you amazing. should see when we go around town and we're selling mead to bars and restaurants around town you know and we're like do you use any pesticides or you know do you have any pollinating and and nectar plants on your property and they're like what do you mean it's like well, what you're drinking right now is from your neighborhood. So if you're putting pesticides in your yard, we can't help that your the bees are going to be in this area. You know? Yeah, they'll have up to a five mile radius of mm-hmm. wherever you place the hive. You know, and when you see people make that connection, they're like, "Oh my god, I'm affecting my own food." Like, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. How could that? How is that not a connection? Or how is that? I'm just now seeing this being a connection. Yeah, and I think there's hope that there there's more and more people realizing things like that in the last. There's more and more people realizing that in the last four or five years, it seems ten years. So it seems like we are getting somewhere with all that. When I interviewed the barefoot farmer for the book, and we talked to him, Jeff, and he. You know, and I was like, "Where? What do you? Yeah, Jeff Poppin. Jeff Poppin. Shout Jeff out, Poppin. shout out. I was like, what "How do you? How do you is, feel man. about where where we're going with all this?" And he's like, "Well, more people are asking questions, and more people are caring about that than he had seen. You know, going back maybe ten years prior, he's like, more people are asking these questions now, and definitely. so, uh, and they're definitely asking him because he's a guy to ask." And so he felt encouraged, which in turn made me feel encouraged. So, yeah, and yeah. honestly, half of what we do is educating the public. Mm. You know, but people come in and they're like, "I don't even know, I don't even know where I am." It's like, well, we're gonna tell you all about it. Don't you right. worry. But yeah, like even you know, out 
out selling mead, out doing events and stuff, talking to people about it. I mean, r- running a business is hard. Literally half of what we do is educating people about it, about mm. like, you know, beekeeping awareness, uh, pollinator awareness too, because like pollinators in general are in a massive decline right now too. So it's not just the honeybees. It's also the, the natural wild bees that have always been. Bumblebees, exactly, yeah. Exactly. Bumblebees, the wood, the uh, mason bees, the wood boring bees. And there's all kinds of crazy, like, you know, crazy bees that you don't even really see anymore because they're all starting to the numbers are declining so much you don't even really see these kind of crazy bees anymore so yeah that was something that jeff poppin once uh told me about was like in the tennessee valley where we are right here as the summers are getting hotter all of these all of these indigenous bees are starting to move up the plateau to the plateau Mm -hmm. and so like he's out he's kind of up there getting up there and he's seeing like a lot more bees than he had before Mm. but also down in the valley down here when he's dropping off a lot of his produce he's seeing a lot less of those bees because they're kind of abandoning the valley because it's getting we're having all these record summers and like they can't fucking handle it so they're going to cooler climates Mm -hmm. well with with like a shortage of food too you know like i was saying earlier not enough wildflowers to go around they're not making enough honey you know they're gonna go somewhere else man so we're, we're actually going to You're out be there mowing your lawn. <laughs> right? <laughs> Leave the clovers. <laughs> um, so, so much nectar. We're actually going to be turning, so like Honey Tree's back patio, and like we've got like a little like crazy side drive. Um, our goal this year is to get it turned into an actual like registered pollinator garden. Uh, I forget exactly what the square footage per, like per square foot, but if you have a certain number of nectar producing plants per square foot, you can become a registered pollinator garden and a butterfly sanctuary oh beautiful that's our goal this year is to kind of turn honey tree into like a nectar hub for any like wandering bee souls that are trying to come get it that's great yeah yeah come on right over here we got you right (laughs) first drinks on us (laughs) right yeah that's what i'm saying dude oh man fun fact about a bee if she goes to a flower and the nectar in that flower is fermented she puts it into her honey stomach and becomes drunk when she goes back to the hive she's not allowed back in until she's sober so oh, wow. the, the guard bees know if she's intoxicated and will not let her back in until she's sober wow interesting <laughs> they can tell without a doubt it's like hey i saw you crash when you landed you no, no you went to the side it's just like my wife when i'm hanging out with kenna <laughs> hey. just, yeah you're right couch for you tonight okay uh, <laughs> I know your ass gonna be snoring tonight, dude. You staying out there? Yeah, exactly. Right? Oh man, that's yeah. great. Too funny. Which brings us to the special time. Booze news with Kenneth Detman. What's booze-worthy out there in the depressing state of our world? <laughs> well, in the depressing state of Florida. Oh, the Florida Files. We got some good news Starting for the Florida Files. The Florida right. Files. Lay, lay it on me. Lay Michael on. Eads. Uh, Florida uh, brewery um, featuring shelter dogs on their cans reunited a seven-year-old, a seven-year-old pit bull mix with his parents in Iowa. That's oh. beautiful. Yeah, Uh, they called her Day Day at the shelter. No one knows exactly how she had gotten to Florida, but she'd been missing for seven months. Her mother said uh, she was an escape artist. She had she had a chip, but it was outdated. Her real name was. No, the chips get outdated. 
Yeah, you got to go to the web. So you, they chip it, and then you, you have to re-register. You have a website, it's like an old AOL it's email. Like, it's or just something. like changing your freaking like Facebook um, password or something. Huh. But a lot of folks forget their password, so they never. Ch- you know, you know that endless cycle. Well, that sounds like a ch- problem with the chips. Dude, I have fix that, the chips. I have that problem. One chip, one <laughs> password. Just fucking. I have that problem with the password? gas company. I can't remember the password to my no. Gas, I'd never my remember my account, password. So I have to fucking call them to pay my gas bill. I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, while I'm on the phone, I'm like, hey, can can we change my password on my fucking uh, gas account? They're like, well, just use the website. And I'm like, I can't use the website that. I can only like, call you and pay. You got to come and they're down. Like, here. No, you got to use the website. And I'm like, you're powerless, aren't you? Just tell me you're powerless. <laughs> and they're like, they won't tell me that they're powerless to do that. They're just like, well, I can like put you on hold and get something. And I'm like, no, nah, fuck you. Just tell me that you're powerless. Anyway, um, happy for Hazel. Uh, made it back to Iowa. In a related story, Kenneth's gas bill's overdue. <laughs> no, it's paid. Are you man. banned from the building? <laughs> You're not allowed over there, are you? I don't even know where it is. <laughs> man, y'all chips don't lie. You just gotta like follow one of their trucks. Chips don't lie. <laughs> oh, what man. else is booze worthy out there in the world of booze news? In the post Super Bowl world, Chiefs won the Super Bowl. Um, Exactly 50 years after the last win, a Chiefs fan opened a 50-year commemorative bottle from McCormick Distillery, oh, wow. uh, originally in, in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. It was one of 1,000 releases. Uh, gentleman's name is Mike Lloyd. He received his bottle from his father-in-law, who passed away about five years ago. They can't, he can't, came to love the Chiefs based on his love for his father-in-law mm-hmm. and his father-in-law's love for the Chiefs. Cool. So a trifecta of love. Like you yeah. gotta love you gotta love your father in law a lot to love his team. The Atlanta Sports Bar uh gifted him a antique bottle in return, ideally for his return to the fucking Super Bowl win, whatever. Like Wow, Chiefs, so this man. was I, a- I guess I'm glad the Chiefs won. But I don't I don't like no this, comment I don't like either Broncos of them, fan. man. Yeah, like I don't I don't care. Sounds like it would have been a lot more fun fun of a game if the Titans were in there. Like yeah, the Titans were so like, close. Everybody was right. pitter pattering around. Like it was kind of just like like a Super Bowl. No one had taken their nap beforehand. Like mm-hmm. please, <laughs> there is a there is a conspiracy going around social media right now that uh, that drinking a solution of bleach and water amongst other things might ward off the upcoming coronavirus entry into the united states oh, yeah, oh, wow let's debunk the that, mms yeah, solution miracle, miracle mineral solution that is very popular amongst anti-vaxxers and the QAnon community um touting touting it to uh ward off coronavirus and also uh cure anything from autism to cancer Yikes! Um, liquid. It's like another form of natural selection happening right now. Like people are like, oh, let's drink. I don't know. Yeah, like uh, actually, like yeah. Uh, I don't <laughs> cool, think you're drinking enough you. of it. Yeah. I'm gonna stay alive. I think. Yeah. So be a good skit at the beginning of the Darwin Awards. Yeah. <laughs> Electrolyte for the plants. Like, is that where we're at now? Brando. <laughs> they say if you like spray MMS on like doorknobs and handles and whatnot, like it does help. <laughs> it, maybe if you wash your hands with it yeah it might it might help yeah wow. yeah if you have a stain on your insides i guess <laughs> well, it reminds I me of that's this. what vodka was for <laughs> yeah, exactly we want to remind our listeners never drink bleach yeah that's or any solution thereof that's not no. a cure for anything other than if you want to take the long nap Stick with the mead. Yeah. The long nap. Stick with the mead. Sprinkle it on your feet if they're itchy. (laughs) (laughs) 
Home Remedies by Kenneth. <laughs> in Merseyside, the UK, 83 Brits have been kept uh, in quarantine. We're, we're sticking with coronavirus from here on out. For the last 14 days, those 83 folks uh, have been allowed to order or Uber Eats uh, a lot of their food. One in particular has been hoarding booze in his relatively chilled out hotel room, quarantine hotel room. One patient, one evacuee at the hospital said, there's a guy who ordered a couple of bottles of wine, a case of spirits, two crates of beer. He's keeping them in his bedroom. He offered me some wine. I felt like I was going into a bar. <laughs> Sounds like Amazing. a pop-up bar. Yeah, yeah, indeed. <laughs> indeed. The, the man's name is not known as they're like keeping everyone's name under quarantine and the coronavirus uh, confidential until they're cleared. We'll have to check back. That's a definite hero. In our ongoing hero versus, what is it, idiot? Mm -hmm. Yeah, hero. And yeah, this is a really fucking positive uh, booze news, actually. Like, other than the bleach. Um, <laughs> uh, another British citizen. Uh, we're, we're championing the, the, the subjects of the queen here today. British teacher in uh, the Wuhan uh, region, Connor Reed, is 25 years old, an English teacher, uh, has cured himself of the coronavirus while staying two weeks in the local hospital on and under quarantine well connor here refused refused medication from the the medical staff and and instead decided to drink a solution of whiskey and guess what honey yes. oh yeah oh, dude yeah. yes see just just take a shot it's the old remedies yeah, yeah. whiskey and honey yes it's like mfk fisher <laughs> she was always saying that. Yeah, it'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't want to take any medicines. Commented on how Wuhan has is becoming a ghost town and said it wasn't really shit. <laughs> <laughs> I am the proof. Coronavirus can be beaten. <laughs> yes. Wow, dude. What? <laughs> that dude's not playing. Yeah. I mean, he's his 24 name, and he's a whiskey swilling lad. I imagine he could beat it. His name is Connor Reed. Mm. Yo, what's up, Connor? Say, yeah, say it with me. Connor Reed. Connor Reed. <laughs> <laughs> Connor. And that'll do it for Booze News this week. Wow. Nice. Positive, honey-laden version of Booze News today from Hi, Kenneth Edmund. Thank you so much. Thanks, Mike. Bravo. And the Florida Files. That was amazing. <laughs> Anything coming up at Honey Tree Media Meadery we need to know about? What's going on? Any any exciting batches coming up that you guys are you guys are looking forward to? So we're getting ready for springtime. Mm -hmm. So we're working on all our little batches right mm -hmm. now. We'll have a regular, a dry hopped, a buried, and a sizer all summer. Ooh, dry hop sounds awesome. Dry hop is really really cool because um so when you dry when you're using dry hops, you're not getting any of the bitterness from the hops because you're not boiling them. Right. Um, so you just get like all the flavor and the aroma. Mm. Um, so we've got a couple of really, really awesome ones we've made with mosaic hops and citra and like really lemon drop. That was a really good one too. So like it's really cool to be able to kind of highlight like here's the hop flavor and aroma without that crazy bitterness and you know like in the IPA style or whatnot. So yeah. The dry hop meads are really, really fun. Uh, that's um, awesome. Yeah, we Still have to like relearn how to use hops, you know, in in this format. Because as soon as we tried the first batch, because I am one of the people that it, notoriously, if I smell Simcoe hops, it, that's the Capus hop to me, mm. right off the rip. Mm. I, I smell it plain as day. Mm. I'm like, 
there there it is you use the cat piss Mm -hmm. so i was like we gotta use simcoe for sure and sure enough totally different profile oh wow so it's like re-educating ourselves on what these could even you know what these profiles could even be because we're definitely not getting these kind of profiles in beer and i think it's important to know for people that want to check out the meadery that you do have the sessionable version that would just be great drinking any time of the day yep and you can sit there and, and throw back a few so definitely. if you rode your bike there or something the vikings in training <laughs> yeah right <laughs> yeah definitely. that's great and who knew Vikings had such refined taste oh, in yeah. beverage? I you know, mean, I got to imagine that back then, their meat fucking tastes like shit, probably. <laughs> I mean, they were just putting everything they could in it, yeah. too, man. They're like, is I, it fermented? Yes. Okay, yeah. give it to me. Yeah, exactly. And definitely for a reason. They're like, ferment what? Yeah, they're what? Like, <laughs> yeah. They were called, Cut his throat. Yeah, it was called berserker meat. They made it specifically, a meat specifically for chugging before you went into battle. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. Like, yeah. Makes perfect Berserker. sense. Berserker. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for coming today. Man, thank y'all so much for having yeah, us. Yeah, it's man. fucking cool. Once again, so it's Honey Tree Meadery, 918 Woodland Street there in East Nashville. They're open uh, Wednesday through Sunday. Yep. And uh, tell us your hours on those days, Wednesday. So for now, we're 5 to 11, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. 2 to 11 on Saturday, 2 to 9 on Sunday. Nice. But the hours are going to expand for the spring and summer. Mm-hmm. That was just our winter hours, you know, while it was the slow season and we were just kind of catching up and doing all kinds of experimenting. So come springtime, we'll be open even longer for sure. Drew Susan, Ross Welbun, thank you all so much. Yeah, thank, yeah, you guys, thank, thank you, guys. Cheers, y'all. Thanks for coming. Cheers, we really yeah, appreciate yeah. it. You can find them uh, on Instagram at Meadery and hit them up go to the tasting room check it all out and you can find us on instagram at liquid gold underscore pod that's at liquid gold underscore pod email us liquidgoldpod at gmail.com questions comments we've got a lot going on we'll be in charleston this weekend coming up for uh, garden of glass my book garden of glass grow your drinks from the ground up got an event at husk in charleston the og husk coming up saturday february 15th at 1 p.m we'll have uh, ticket ticket links in the bios and all those things on our instagram you can check that out so we hope to talk to you kenneth is coming along bringing the dog chris yeah it's gonna be a hell of a time we'll be heading to the delaney house and other spots in beautiful charleston south carolina so we look forward to that and much more to come Right here on Liquid Gold. Thanks to the gentleman from Honey Tree Meadery. Yay, Honey Tree. Beautiful mead. Congrats, you guys, on the gold medal as well. Thanks for bringing that special batch. And we will see you next time on Liquid Gold. Later, Tanner.